Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God, praise God. Can we stand, everyone? Praise the Lord. What a great time of prayer and praise and worship. Amen. Preparing our heart for the Word of God. Amen. The Word of God, that's what will keep us, that'll sustain us. When no one's near to sing a song, when no one is close by to play an instrument, amen, the Word of God, that will hold us, hold us. All of these things are so important. They mean something in our walk with God. But I'm going to tell you, if it was all taken away, the Word will sustain us. It'll sustain us. We're thrilled beyond the telling to have Brother Tess Stewart with us today. I remember the very first time I met him, I just appreciated his spirit. Amen. The Bible talks, I mean, excuse me, I've always said that the spirit of a man precedes a man, goes before us. And so I appreciated what I felt always around him. And uh, he is here today on his own merit. Such a great reputation among our fellowship. And I'm excited to hear from the word of the Lord. And so I wonder if you would just clap your hands and make him welcome to this pulpit. Now, can we just give Jesus another hand clap of praise this morning? Come on, he's worthy of the praise. He's worthy of the worship. Did anybody bring a sacrifice of praise into the house today? My God, my God, my God. My God, I like what I feel in the house this morning. Hey, man, you may be seated. I do want to give honor to Pastor and Sister Boyd, the leadership here of this great church, and your reputation here precedes you as a church. Hey, man, you're a church that's talked about and thought highly of throughout the fellowship. Uh, but before I get into the actual message that I believe that God has given me for this service today, Pastor mentioned, and we were talking a little bit yesterday, and he wanted me to just uh, I don't believe my parents have ever been here before, and he just felt like it would be good to kind of familiarize some of you with a little bit of our story. Uh, but if, if for those who don't know, my parents were missionaries in Liberia, West Africa, for about 33 years, just retired uh, last year. And I was you know, born and raised on the mission field in West Africa. Uh, but in Liberia in particular, there was a civil war that lasted about 15 years during while we were missionaries. And they estimate that up to one-third of the population was killed in this civil war. Just unthinkable. There have been so many documentaries done just to inhumane, demonic things that were done uh, to people. But our testimony as a family and our testimony as the United Pentecostal Church in Liberia is similar to what the sister just saying a few minutes ago, that God has never failed. God knows what he's doing. God is a keeper. God is a deliverer. God is a provider. Amen. And our family in particular, 
for 17 days at one point. Uh, we were trapped in the house. There were rebel fighters in the in the backyard and soldiers in the front yard, and our fenced-in property just was right on the the the, the fighting line. And uh, the rebels had been running almost unimpeded throughout the countryside, but we lived about a mile away from the government radio station, and that's always a, a sensitive target. And the government's going to protect that at all costs because. Whoever controls the government radio station controls the minds and the, the people and everything. So they ran into a virtual brick wall, and our house happened to be right on that front line. And for 17, I can spend the next hour talking about what happened. There were times where our house was attacked in particular because they saw movement. They thought uh, might be enemy fighters, and we have pictures of one wall in the house that received over 100 rounds through the house. My father's a retired uh, army, retired soldier, 22 years in the army, and he's familiar with ordinances and, you know, bullets and, and, and more than I am. And on that wall that my father and I happened to be on the other side of, in addition to the bullets that were just embedded in that wall, there were three uh, rocket-propelled grenades of some sort that were designed to, when they hit a wall, they're designed to explode on impact. All three of those, all three of them, hit that wall, embedded in that wall, and not one exploded in that house. My God, I've come to tell somebody here today that we serve a God, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, that we serve a God who knows exactly where you are. And God is a keeper. God is a provider. God is faithful, and that kind of God is worthy to be praised. I don't want to belabor the time, but I do want to get into the word of God. I'll tell you this morning that I was a little bit conflicted about what, you know, what I was feeling to preach and I was kind of feeling after God. And this morning while I was in the the great evangelist quarters you have there, some elders came and they were praying out there in the fellowship hall. And as I was walking out of the room, one of them turned to the other one and he said, this is that. I said, man, that's one of the things that have been kind of in my spirit here today. And then we came in here and it seems like every song was about the Holy Ghost doing praise and worship. And then pastor got up and said what he said, which is almost a precursor to what I'm going to preach this morning. I know there is a word from God for somebody in this house today. And this Sunday I'm struck with an appreciation for Pentecost and what Pentecost means in my life, the eternal significance of Pentecost and I believe that what God wants to do here today is twofold, that if you're here this morning and if you've never been baptized in Jesus's name, if you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost by evidence of speaking in another tongue, I believe that God wants you to see the need for this and God wants you to see the eternal significance of the Pentecostal experience. But also for those of you who are here who have received the Holy Ghost and those who have been baptized in Jesus name, I believe that God wants you to leave this house with an even greater appreciation for what you have and what you've experienced, that the truth is under attack and the apostolic experience is under attack and the enemy would like nothing more than the cheapen in your heart and in your mind what it is that you have experienced and what you possess. But it's my prayer that somebody will leave here with an even greater appreciation and under- understanding for the eternal significance of who you are in Jesus Christ and the experience that you have. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. 
a very familiar passage of scripture. If you do want to stand for the reading of the word, that's great. Acts chapter two, verses 14 through 17. And as you look for that, I do want to once again give honor to Pastor and Sister Boyd and the leadership here of this church. And what I've experienced here by way of fellowship and hospitality has been second to none. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. want to just jump back up to verse 16 for the core of my message, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Does anybody believe that in 2015 that this is still that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that the anointing that we felt here a few minutes ago as we begin to worship God and feel the manifest presence of God even in our midst, that even today this is still that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. My God, my God. Want to preach for the next few minutes on the simple subject. This is that. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your power. Thank you for your presence. We thank you for your anointing that we feel here this morning. We don't take your presence for granted. We don't take your anointing lightly, God. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your anointing. Where your spirit is, there is liberty. Where your spirit is, there is victory. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we pray we bind every spiritual hindrance. We bind every spiritual obstacle, God. Loose your anointing. Loose your power. Loose your presence in this house, God. Let there be a lifting in your house. And we'll be careful to give your name the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. You may be seated. So I said before, I hope to highlight in everybody's mind this morning, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, no matter whether you're just beginning your walk with God or you've been walking with God for years or decades, I, I hope to highlight in everybody's mind this morning just how privileged we are to have what we have and to know what we know. I hope to highlight in your mind this morning just how blessed you are as a person to live on this side of Pentecost. I hope to highlight in your mind this morning the eternal significance of the apostolic experience and the apostolic revelation. There's something you have to realize about those who lived before us in the Old Testament, that even with all of the great men and women of God in the Old Testament, that all the stories we read about people in the Old Testament who walked with God and had a relationship with God, men and women that we still celebrate to this day, prophets and men and women of God that we still celebrate to this day. In spite of all of that that happens in the Old Testament, there is an underlying message in the writings of the Old Testament that says we have not received the entire promise, but we know that something greater is coming. In spite of the experiences they had with God, you can hear the message throughout their writings that says, I'm thankful for what I have, but I know that there is more. I know that a day is coming when God is going to reveal himself even more clearly. I know that a day of greater redemption is coming. I know that a day of greater revelation is coming. I know that a day of greater salvation is coming. A time is coming when the people of God will know their God in a more perfect way. My God, 
glorify God. And so these great Old Testament prophets had some hints of this gospel message, and it caused them to want to know more. It made them yearn for a greater revelation of God. They yearned to have a greater relationship with God. They knew that there was more to God than what they were able to experience. They had the types and the shadows and the prophecies of greater things to come, but they longed to put their hands on the substance of those greater things, but these men and women never could because the fullness of time had not yet come, and they could only hold on to a hope that a better day was coming. They could only hold on to a hope that no matter how bad things got and how far Israel fell away from God, that one day a day of redemption was coming. Hebrews 7, 19 says about the law of the Old Testament, for the law made nothing perfect. The law completed nothing. The law did not pardon sin. The law did not purify the heart. The law did not put away guilt. It did not restore man to the place he had been with God before he became a sinner. But the law was just a shadow of a greater plan, a greater hope, a redemptive hope. It was a sign of something to come. One day, man will be able to commune with God again. One day, man will be able to have an intimate relationship with God again and with no longer need the law, would no longer have to go through a priest, would no longer have to offer the blood of goats and animals, but would one day be able to boldly approach the throne of grace for God himself. So as you read through the writings of the Old Testament, you hear this familiar refrain, something greater is coming. I want to admonish you here this morning, don't take this apostolic experience for granted. That's one thing the enemy wants. He wants you to live beneath the significance and the purpose and the power of Pentecost that lives inside of you. But hear me when I say this morning that many of the great men and women of God that we celebrate in the Old Testament, they would have given anything to experience God the way you experienced God just a few minutes ago. We were worshiping God, and the manifest presence of God was in here, and the Holy Ghost was falling all across this building. Hear me when I say that the great men and women of God that we celebrate today would have given anything to have been in this service for just five minutes and to feel the God of creation living on the inside of them. My God, don't allow the enemy to cheapen it. Don't allow the enemy to mess with your identity. Don't allow the enemy to make you think you're less than what you are in Jesus Christ. I feel power in this house today. I feel an anointing in this house today. He out of God. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Don't allow the enemy to cheapen it. I wish we could travel through time and go back and talk to some of these great leaders and prophets of the Old Testament. We would find that even they wish they could experience the Pentecost that we experience and celebrate today. If we could go back in time, we would find that ever since the fall of man, even before the times of the prophets, there was a foreshadowing of something great coming. And we could go back and talk to Adam and Eve, and we could ask Adam and Eve what's happening in their lives. And Adam and Eve would have to tell us we've fallen, we've messed up, we're cursed, and because of us, 
because of our sin, the earth is cursed. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I heard God tell Satan, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. But there's something incredible about Genesis 3.15 that I just read. This is the only time in the entire Bible where the Bible talks about the seed of a woman. It says between your seed and her seed. And every other instance when the Bible talks about seed, it talks about the seed of a man because biologically the woman has no seed. And in every other instance, the Bible talks about the seed of the man. But here it is in Genesis 3.15 when the Bible talks about the Messiah to come, it talks only about the seed of a woman because God is letting mankind know I've already got a plan in place. There's going to be a supernatural birth, and he's not going to be the seed of a man, but he's only going to be the seed of a woman. I've already got a plan of redemption in place. I know all you see is darkness and bleakness, but I've already got it worked out in the heavenlies. My God. And so in our travel through time, Adam and Eve would tell us, God told us, that one day our seed would crush the head of the serpents. Things are bleak right now, but something greater is coming. We've fallen now. We've been cast out of the presence of God now, but somehow, some way, redemption is coming. I don't know how God's going to make it happen, but one day we're going to have our hope back. If we could then travel to the year 1451 B.C., we would find an elderly man by the name of Moses. Perhaps Moses would still have the mighty rod that God used so many times in his life to bring about many acts of God. And perhaps Moses would tell us about the great things that God did in his life. But we could ask Moses, Moses, do you have the promise? Is this the promise? And Moses would have to tell us, I walked with God. I led my people to safety. I received the law of God, and my name will forever be known among mankind as a great man of God. But Moses would have to go on and say, I do not have the promise. But he would say like he said in Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee among thy brethren like unto me unto him shall ye listen what Moses is saying is I'm a great man of God but a greater man is coming I've been a great deliverer in my life but a greater deliverer is coming and he's the one that you're going to listen to we could continue our journey to the year 712 BC go to the king's palace and we'd find a prophet there talking to King Uzziah. And we would say, Isaiah, have you tasted the promise? Isaiah would have to say, I'm a mouthpiece of God. I speak the word of God and everybody listens. I'm one of the greatest prophets to ever walk the face of the earth. But I know that I have not tasted the promise. But Isaiah would have to go on and say, like he says in Isaiah 28, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing for I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on dry grounds and I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offsprings somebody hear what I'm saying Isaiah is talking about a time when the dry will be watered Isaiah is talking about a time when the thirsty will be filled and I'm telling you here this morning that if you're in a dry place you have access to the spring 
rings that Isaiah could only dream about. If you're here today and you're thirsty and you're empty, you have access to the fullness that Isaiah could only prophesy about. The greater thing is here. My God, my God, he out over God. My God, my God. We could continue to the year 629 B.C. and go just north of Jerusalem. And there we would find a prophet weeping because of the love he has for his people. And we would say, Jeremiah, surely you have experienced a promise. But Jeremiah would have to look up with tears in his eyes and say, I've heard from God. And I'm trying desperately to get the people of God to repent and turn back to God. But he would have to go on and say, like he said in Jeremiah 31, 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. My God. After those days, a time is coming ahead. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah is saying, I can't get the people to turn back to God. Jeremiah is saying, my heart is broken because I can't bring the people back to God. But God has given me a prophecy that at some point, God's going to do something on the inward parts of man, and God's going to write his laws on the inward parts of man and once again the people of God will know their God and they shall be the people of God I have not experienced a promise but I know that something greater is coming I could continue on and on to the year 595 BC come to a prophet by the river Chebar say Ezekiel what is it that you're writing Ezekiel would have to say, like he said in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Ezekiel is saying, a day of greater redemption is coming. A day of greater revelation is coming. There's something I'm looking forward to. I've heard from God, and I look forward with longing to this day and so these Old Testament prophets lived their entire lives with the longing for the promise God had just given them a look at what was to come and this is what the Bible says about these great men and women of God in Hebrews 11 13 talking about those in the Old Testament it says these all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Here's what's happening. These men and women lived and died in faith, not because of a promise that they possessed, but a promise that they could see afar off. Just the fact that a promise was on the way, just because they knew that a promise was coming one day was enough to make them men and women of faith. It was enough to make them embrace a promise that they could not experience. It was enough to persuade them that God was God. It was enough to persuade them that they were separate and they were different just because they knew of the existence of a promise to come. I ask you here this morning, how much more persuaded should I be? Me that I I don't just know about the promise, but I drink 
speak freely of the promise. I don't just know about the promise, but I experience the promise day after day, Sunday after Sunday. How much more persuaded should I be that God is God? How much more full of faith should I be? How much more willing should I be to embrace the promises of God? I am a stranger. I am a pilgrim. There's something different about me, not just because I know about the promise, but because the promise lives in me. The promise works through me. He audible God. My God. My God. We would find on our travel through time, as you close the book on Malachi, you travel through 400 years of silence. There's no word from God. Nobody saying, thus saith the Lord. Nobody talking about the promise. Nobody reminding the people that something greater was still coming. The hopes and the dreams of the promise seem to be discovered or covered by the dust and despair of neglect and decay. But all of a sudden, we would hear a solitary voice in the wilderness crying out, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand. It's near. It's within reach. It's within grasp. Repent ye, for the kingdom is at hand. And we would have to ask John the Baptist, John, do you have this promise that you're talking about? And John would have to say, no, I don't have the promise. But he would go on to say, like he said in Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me, my God, is right here. There's, there's not some time far in the future. But he that cometh after me, the next one to come, he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. My God. My God. My God. In our travels, we would come across the Virgin Mary and ask Mary, what's going on? And Mary might say that she was a little bit confused about what was happening within her. But that an angel came to her from heaven and told her to fear not, because that which was conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost and that she was going to bring forth a son and she was to call his name Jesus that he would save his people from their sins. And in our travel through time, we would see a heavenly host sing on the day that Jesus was born and we would see Jesus grow up and heal the sick and open blinded eyes and forgive sin and we would hear Jesus talk about being the great I am, talk about being the Messiah, talk about being Emmanuel, God with us. And we would hear Jesus say what he said in John 14 16 and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you and we would see Jesus make a triumphal entry into Jerusalem into the most holy of holy places and we would think, surely now the time has come for the promise to be revealed. Here is the Messiah entering the most holy of holy places. But then we would see the Messiah crucified. We would see him beaten and die on a tree. And it would seem that hope is lost once again. It would seem that the promise is once again out of reach. But three days later, three days after this defeat, three days after it seems like hope is lost, we would have seen Jesus get up with all 
power in his hands. Just when the disciples were about ready to come out of hiding and go back to their lives before Jesus. Just when the reality of his death seems to be sinking in, we would see Jesus get up with all power in his hands. And we would see a risen Jesus tell his disciples in Luke 24, 49, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. We would see the disciples confused, huddled in an upper room, not sure exactly what to expect next, knowing that they're waiting on the promise of the father, but not sure how it's going to manifest itself. Not sure how it's going to happen. I'm confused. I'm ups and downs. And we would see them huddled in an upper room. But then, after all those thousands of years of travel, we would finally see it happen. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. My God. And those people on the outside of that tiny room did not understand the eternal significance of what had just happened in that little upper room. But I'm so glad that those on the inside of that upper room understood fully what had just happened. And so the text we read, Peter standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, Be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that, my God. But this is that. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams what Peter is saying you don't understand what just happened in this tiny upper room but this is that this is that thing every song that's ever been written in the Old Testament this is what they were talking about this is that thing that Moses could only dream about this is that thing that Isaiah could only thirst for this is that thing that Joel could only look forward to this is what every song this is what every prophecy was all about this is that this is the promise the promise is here and the promise is here to stay my god she out of god my god my god my god my god my god And the best news in Acts chapter 2 is that the promise is here and now it's here to stay. For the promise is unto you and to your children and all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now that the promise is here, the promise is free and available to everybody. Now that the promise is here, you and I can drink freely of the promise. If you're here today and you're living without the promise, this is your day. If you're here today and you're living beneath the promise, 
This is your day. The promise is unto you. The promise, the lifting is here. The anointing is here. The breakthrough is here. The thirst is here. It's here this morning. My God. My God. My God. I want somebody to understand that this apostolic message is not some new interpretation. Truth is under attack in this day and time. Even in church circles, truth is under attack. I want to establish in somebody's mind this morning that this apostolic message is not some man-made viewpoint. But this is the very culmination of God's redemption plan. And that God, at the very beginning, when man fell, there's been a foreshadowing of this apostolic message. That even before the prophets, there was a foreshadowing of a redemptive plan that God had in the works. And this is the culmination of that, of that plan, this apostolic message. Something I find interesting in the Garden of Eden, we know that the mind of God has never changed. And that if the wages of sin is death today, then the wages of sin has always been death. Even though Adam and Eve didn't have a Romans, a book of Romans to tell them that, the wages of sin has always been death in the mind of God. And so Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and they knew instinctively that they needed to be covered. They needed a covering. The Bible says they covered themselves with leaves. These leaves covered their body physically, but God said those leaves were not sufficient. Those leaves were man's attempt to cover his sin. The Bible says in Genesis 3.21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Here's the interesting thing about that verse. We're not talking about clothing made of the hair of animals. The Bible says specifically it was the skin of an animal. That skin had to come from an animal. An animal, an innocent animal, had to die in that garden to give Adam and Eve a covering that was suitable to cover their sins. There was a death in that garden where an innocent animal, it was instituted, the substitute sacrifice was instituted, that concept was instituted in the Garden of Eden, that an innocent thing, since the wages of sin is death, that an innocent thing could die. And so as the judgment of God is moving in, I like to imagine as the judgment of God is moving in to exact that ultimate judgment on Adam and Eve, it sees where the mercy of God has clothed them in an animal's skin. And the judgment says there's already been a death. There's already been a sacrifice. A debt has been paid that has pushed that judgment off. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that animal sacrifice, the innocent animal sacrifice was sufficient to cover the sins of the guilty. But one day, John the Baptist saw Jesus walking towards him, and John knew what he was seeing. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19 says, Knowing that ye were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or without spout. What am I saying this morning? Blood had to be shed for the sins of Adam and Eve to be covered with the God covering. They thought they could do it on their own, but God 
God insisted on the shedding of blood to cover their sins. And what happened in that garden was a shadow of things to come. God says, you don't have the power to cover your sin. Only I have the power to cover your sin. Only I have the power to put you in something that's going to fill the judgment of the sin in your life. So that when judgment looks at you, judgment no longer sees the sin, but judgment sees the sacrifice. Judgment sees the blood. Judgment sees the death. Well, in 2015, how are we covered? We no longer kill animals, cover ourselves. How are we covered? By the Lamb of God, by Jesus. We don't take the literal skin of Christ and cover ourselves. But the answer is found in Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For ye are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, my God. How do I cover myself with the evidence that the debt has been paid? How do I cover myself with the thing that the mercy of God has provided to fulfill the judgment of God. So judgment moves on. I'm baptized into Jesus Christ and I put on Christ. So the judgment of God looks at that and says that price has already been paid. There's been blood shed and that's covered. I'm preaching to somebody here today. This apostolic message, every aspect of this apostolic message is not a new interpretation, but it is the culmination of the message of redemption. It is the culmination of the salvation plan that has been put into place from the fall of mankind. My God, the Bible lets us know, I'm going to hurry this evening, this morning. The Bible lets us know that all of creation was bound by the curse of sin. Romans 8 lets us know that creation itself waits in eager anticipation for the day of its redemption to come, that a day is going to come when the earth, the earth is bound by the decay, destruction of sin. The earth is waxing old, but the earth, nature itself, looks forward to a day when God's going to come back and earth itself will be liberated from the bondage of decay and destruction due to sin. The earth is still waiting to be freed from the curse of sin. But you and I ought to be thankful that we have no such limitations, that we don't have to wait for another day. We don't look for another time where we're going to be free from the scars and the decay, the bondage of sin and what sin has done in our lives. We don't have to wait for him to come back. We don't have to wait for another day, but we today are free from the curse of sin. This is the ultimate Pentecostal message. God has made a way of escape. The grace of God has developed a plan from the moment that mankind has fallen and this is that. This is that redemptive plan. This is the way I'm free from the bondage and the curse of sin. This is how I'm free from the debt that I deserve. This is how I'm free from the debt that I was supposed to pay. This is my way of escape. My God. She out of God. Truth is under attack. The prophets of old knew that a better day was coming, but they could not possess the promise. Their lives were shaped because of a promise that they knew was on the way that they could not possess. 
But the simple message here this morning is that the promise is here. And the promise is available. And this is that. If you're here today and you're bound by sin, this is that which Isaiah was talking about when he says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. If you're here today and you're in a dry place, this is what Isaiah was talking about when he says there is a refreshing, when he says there are wells of life. This is that. We have a better day. We have a better day of revelation. We have a better day of hope. We have a better day of promises. We have a better day of possession. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better priesthood. We have a better covenant. We have a better salvation. We have a better resurrection. We have a better country. There is no situation that God cannot take care of in this service. There's no problem that God cannot solve in this service. There's no sickness that God cannot heal in this service. There's no relationship that God cannot mend in this service. There's no addiction that God cannot deliver from in this service. There's nothing that God cannot do in this service. God is bigger than all my problems. I've come to preach to somebody here today. I don't know every problem that you might be facing, but I do know the solution. I don't know every question you might have this morning, but I do know the answer. I don't know every sickness you're experiencing today. But I do know the healer. I don't know every pain you might be experiencing right now. But I do know the balm in Gilead. I don't know every valley experience you might be going through. But I do know the lily in the valley. Hope has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. Purpose has a name. Deliverance has a name. Salvation has a name. Security has a name. And that name is Jesus. And I'm thankful that I live on this side of that revelation. I'm thankful that I live on this side of Pentecost. I'm thankful that I've got the promise and the promise is here. Can we stand all over this building and thank God for the promise? Can we stand all over this building and thank God for deliverance? Can we stand all over this building and thank God for healing? Thank God for direction. Thank God for clarity. The promise is here and this is that. This is that. This is available. It's available. It's available. Don't leave the way you came this morning. The promise is here. He out of, oh God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. My God. My God. There's only one way that your sins can be forgiven. There's only one way that you can leave here with a clean heart and a right spirit. There's only one way that your past can be buried. There's only one way that every stain in your life can be washed away. There's only one way that you can have the purpose of God, the peace of God, the passion of God, the direction of God, the clarity of God, and that promise is here today. My God, if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, and you have never experienced this promise that I'm preaching about, don't waste this opportunity Don't waste this opportunity that Isaiah and Moses and Joel would have given anything to experience. Don't waste this opportunity. And if you're here this morning and you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, but you know you've been living beneath the power of the Holy Ghost. You know you don't have the direction, the clarity, the passion, the purpose, the anointing that the Holy Ghost is meant to unlock in your life. Don't leave 
Don't leave the way you came. But make up your mind, I'm going to drink freely of the promise of God. I'm going to take advantage of the anointing. I feel the anointing of God in this house today. These altars are open right now. If you feel the spirit of God drawing you this morning, make your way down to these altars with one voice. Come on. Don't think about it. Don't hesitate. If you feel God calling you higher, if you're here today and you feel the spirit of God drawing you, if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost and you don't know this power that I'm preaching about today, don't hesitate. Don't look around. The promise is here and the promise is free and the promise is available. God, pour your promise out right now. God, pour your power out right now. God, pour out a supernatural anointing. God, let there be a lifting all over this house. Let there be a lifting all over this house. Lift us up above our doubts. Lift us up above our fears. Lift us up above confusion right now. Let there be an anointing like the day of Pentecost. Fall fresh. Let us all be in one mind and in one accord. Let the promise fall let the promise flow let the promise move freely in this house the promise is here the promise is here the promise is here this morning this message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church we pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.